Today's reading would be on page 964, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 12 to chapter 2, verse 4. For our boast is in the testimony of our conscience that we behave in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God and supremely so toward you. For we are not writing to you anything other than what you read and acknowledge. And I hope you will fully acknowledge, just as you did partially acknowledge us, that on the day of our Lord Jesus, you will boast of us as we will boast of you. Because I was sure of this, I wanted to come to you first so that you might have a second experience of grace. I wanted to visit you on the way to Macedonia and have you send me on the way to Judea. Was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? Do I make my plans according to the flesh, ready to say yes, yes, and no, no, at the same time? As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, when we proclaim among you, Silvius and Timothy, and I was not yes and no, but in him is always yes. For all the promise of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen of God for the glory. And it is God who established us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts of guarantee. But I called to God to witness against me. It was to spare you, and I refrained from coming again to Corinth. Not that the Lord is over your faith, but we work with you for your joy, for you stand firm in your faith. For I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you, for I cause you pain. Who is there to make me glad? but the one whom I have pain. And I wrote as I did so that when I come, I may not suffer pain from those who should have made me rejoice. For I felt sure all of you that the joy would be the joy of you. For I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of the heart and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. This is the word of God. Hey, good morning, everybody. How y'all doing? Uh, I am not preaching today. Uh, Pastor Joel's going to be preaching. He's dressed better than I am, so that's why we put him in there. But I, uh, I introduced uh, Pastor Joel maybe a month ago uh, in, in one of my family chats, but it's been a bit and not everyone was there for that. So I want to just take a moment and uh, introduce him here again this morning. Uh, Pastor Joel uh, has, is new to Calvary, but not uh, new to pastoral ministry. And uh, he was serving uh, as a pastor at Holy Trinity, which is a church in the city. Maybe you would be familiar with that. Uh, but in the last uh, year or so, he's begun a Ph.D. program out at Wheaton College in theology. And he and I connected 
uh, at the end of last year, and he said, I, don't, I can't work full-time anymore, but you have uh, a, a part-time opening, anything that I could do while I'm uh, going to Wheaton. And uh, we didn't have anything at the time, but we had a couple uh, lunches, got to know each other, and uh, some outside funding came in that allowed us to do some things beyond the budget. And so we've, we have secured Pastor Joel, at least for as long as he's at Wheaton, uh, one day a week. And we gave him a fancy title called Theologian in Residence. And uh, so what that means is he's going to be helping us uh, occasionally with some preaching, uh, some teaching in our adult ed, uh, some of the theological projects that we've got. I'm working on a book, and he's helping with some of that research. And so he's just going to be around. Uh, and if you've got to know him over the last month or his wife and kids, they're a great family. And I hear that he did a fantastic job this morning. I was talking with a gentleman in the hallway. He said, yeah, he was great. Turned out it was your father. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I really don't know, actually, if that was a, you know. But in any case, no, uh, Joel, we're really glad to have you uh, here this morning. I'm going to uh, say a word of prayer and uh, pray for him and his ministry in the word among us uh, this morning. And then we'll get going with the sermon. Father, thank you for the morning and your faithfulness to us and all the ways uh, that we have just sung about, uh, that your faithfulness is great uh, to us, that you are a, a chain-breaking, miracle-making uh, God, and uh, we thank you for the truth of that in our lives personally and in the, uh, the story of our African-American brothers and sisters uh, here, and we pray for more of that uh, in our lives and in the lives of our congregation and nation, and just ask that you would continue to work. We pray for Pastor Joel, as he preaches this morning, ask that he would um, bring your word to us in a way uh, that bears fruit in our heart and the things, Lord, that you want to speak into each of our lives. We pray that you would do so by your spirit. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Calvary. I've had to kind of train myself to make sure I say welcome to Calvary. Sometimes when I was practicing where I would say welcome to Holy Trinity, like, that would not be a good thing to say. Uh, as Pastor Gerald said, my name is Joel, and I'm really excited to be here this morning and to preach. Uh, at my previous role at Holy Trinity, I did preach a lot more often than I will be preaching here, and I miss preaching for many reasons. But one of the main reasons that I miss preaching is the amount I feel that there's kind of this organic way that I'm just in the text and that God is kind of speaking to me through the Bible because it's my job. You spend an entire week looking at one passage, trying to think through, what does it mean? How do I explain this? How does it affect their lives? How should it change us? And how can I kind of communicate to a group of people? Inevitably, that's just happening with yourself. When you're processing through, okay, how should this actually affect your life? I'm going to start thinking, well, what's going on in my life? How does this affect me? And I often found that the texts that were assigned to me very naturally just kind of seemed to hit me at the moment I needed them. I'd be looking at a text. I remember one time uh, preaching on 1 Peter 5 when I was going through a lot of anxiety in my own life, which I have throughout different times. And all of a sudden, I kind of got this text that I needed for myself. I think in many ways, that is true for me this week as well. So... I told a couple people this after the first service. Part of my dissertation, I'm writing on 2 Corinthians. So I'm, I'm, my dissertation is on the intersection of suffering, the church, and its mission. How do those things all come together? And so there's a lot of that in 1 Corinthians. Though the stuff that I've written on for my dissertation is before this passage and after this passage. 
And so when I was assigned this, I was like, oh, great. This is going to be more work. And I was a little bit disappointed. But I came to find, actually, in studying this, that this is actually probably really what I needed this week. And I hope that it is an encouragement to you as well. So as Gerald mentioned, I've been at Calvary for almost two months now, which obviously is not a very long time. And even if you know me, which I think there's probably like five people in this room who, who know me, even if you know me, you probably have never heard me preach before. You've never heard me teach. You know very little about me as a pastor. And as a result, today is my first opportunity to blow your minds, to just wow you. But in reality, that's actually how I feel. There's like this temptation to want to come in and actually impress you. That my main goal is to be like, wow, wasn't that a great sermon? Wasn't he really impressive? rather than to do what I'm called to do. I've had this temptation all week, even praying about it. How do I pray about this in a way, Lord, help me to do well, when I know that my heart is longing for actually you to be impressed with me, rather than to show you Jesus. I want to awe you. I want you to think highly of me. But I know that that is not just a temptation for myself. It's not just because I'm a public speaker that I have that temptation. That is a temptation that we all feel in various ways how we present ourselves, how do we talk to other people. We are constantly kind of picking and choosing what we're going to expose because we want people to think a certain way about us. You see, that is why I think this text was so helpful for me this week because that's what it's addressing. This text, I think what's happening here is Paul is addressing a church that not only expects him as its leader to be impressive, but who themselves think that they should be impressive. But Paul reacts to this somewhat shockingly by purposely exposing his weaknesses, purposely talking more about his afflictions, and the reason he is doing that because he knows ultimately what they need, what you need, what I need, is not some impressive pastor, not some impressive leader, not some impressive personal life, but Jesus Christ. And so he seeks to expose his weakness so that they might be reminded of what they ultimately need, which is Jesus, the one that we have been singing about, so that they might see their need for Jesus because of their own weakness. And that is what I want to talk to you about this morning. I want to call on us to see, to recognize that we, every single one of us in this room, we are weak, and we should be okay with admitting that and exposing that. Is what we need is Christ, the one in whom all the promises of God find their yes. We need him, and he has been offered to us. Now, before we really dive in, I just want to warn you, the way I'm going to do this and try to present this to you is I'm going to focus most of our time on chapter 1, verses 12 through 14. Okay, I will discuss the other passages, but when I discuss the other parts of this, of, of this passage, please don't be like, oh my gosh, this guy's only done three verses. I'm not impressed with him. This is going to be extremely long. Okay, so I'm going to focus primarily on chapter 1, verses 12 through 14, kind of use the rest of it to fill out what Paul is saying here. But let me pray first, ask for God's help, and then we can dive in. So pr pray with me. Father, we thank you for the gift of your son. Thank you, Lord, that you are faithful to provide every single need of ours through him. Thank you that through him we've received the Holy Spirit, and I pray right now, Lord, you would enable your spirit to use my words to point us to Jesus Christ so that we might serve you. 
May we know you more intimately because of this. May it be about you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so if you have a Bible, and I know there's lots in the pew, so I encourage you to, to be looking at the Bible. Again, it's page 964. And look with me at chapter 1, verse 12. This is our first verse. Here is what Paul says. For our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience, that we behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God, and supremely so toward you. Okay, so the first word that we see here, the word for, should indicate to us that to really understand what Paul is saying here, we need to see it in its context, really in the flow of what he has been saying up to this point. So if you remember from the last two weeks, we've had both Pastor Gerald and Pastor Eric lead us through the first 11 verses of 2 Corinthians, this letter, the second letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, the church that he planted. Pastor Gerald began our series by showing us Paul's surprising word concerning afflictions and comfort, showing us that what we see Paul doing in chapter 1, verses 1 through 7, is declaring to the Corinthian church that God, the God of the Bible, the God of Jesus Christ, the God of the universe, is the God of comfort. He is the God that comforts us completely, but that that comfort is not found through helping us avoid difficulties and hardships, but through being with us in the valley of the shadow of death. By actually being with us in our difficulties, he comforts us where we are actually struggling. And as we will see throughout the series, this is a really important thing for Paul to explain to the Corinthians. Because as Gerald mentioned, the Corinthians had adopted what is sometimes called a theology of glory. Okay, now that's a term that Martin Luther actually came up with. And what that means is the Corinthians had come to view God and his representative, or his apostle, which is Paul, through their cultural expectations. To view him essentially, not how God has revealed him to be, which is ultimately through the cross, there's a theology of the cross, but through what they thought he should be like rather than how God chose to reveal him. And as a result, they thought that Paul, because he is God's apostle, they thought he should be impressive. They thought he should be free from difficulties. They actually believed so deeply in God being the God of comfort that the way they thought about the cross is the cross releases us now from all the difficulties we should go through. They assumed that Paul himself, since he is God's man, that Paul should have a life of comfort and maybe even luxury. And they seemed to think that this was true for their own lives as well. They wanted the comfort, not the affliction. And yet, as Jared explained, Paul shows us that by God's grace, both the comfort and the afflictions of Christ overflow to us. That's the, what Paul says in chapter 1, verse 5. Both Christ's comfort and his afflictions overflow to us, that we receive the comfort of Christ amidst our difficulties. But through Jesus, we have been given the hope of the resurrection through the path of the cross. And that's not something the Corinthians had expected. In fact, if you look at the first verse at the beginning of Pastor Eric's text from last week, verse 8, it says this, for we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, the afflictions we experience. And as Pastor Eric showed us, that would have been a surprising statement to the Corinthians. They would have thought Paul would want them to be unaware 
of his afflictions, that he actually wanted to hide the things that he was going through, to not be vulnerable and to share the difficulties he had gone through. Because in their minds, his difficulties, his afflictions, his suffering called his apostolic legitimacy, his God's man legitimacy into question. So they thought he would have wanted to hide that. And so it would have been surprised when Paul says, I want you to know about it. I don't want you to be unaware. And I think if we are really honest and we think about it, Paul's words are surprising to us as well. Because we too, we too struggle with the theology of glory. I'm sure almost none of you would put it that way, but I'm the theologian in residence, so I'm putting it that way. But we struggle with the theology of glory. We struggle to think of God and what his people should be like through our cultural assumptions rather than how God has revealed himself. And what that usually results in is assumptions that mirror that of the Corinthians. Now, I'm not saying we necessarily would actually articulate it the same way. It's more actually how we feel. What we kind of expect deep down inside. Because, okay, why? Why wouldn't the people of God, the people who follow the God of the universe, the God who is the most powerful being, who created and rules over all things, but is also loving and comforting, why wouldn't his people be impressive? Why wouldn't we experience his love and his comfort fully right now? Why wouldn't we have our lives put together? That just seems to make intuitive sense to us, even if we wouldn't say that out loud. And that's how the Corinthians thought. That's basically how all humanity has thought throughout history. The idea that Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, the most important person to ever live would be a man whose life was marked by joy amidst pain would purchase our salvation, hope, and life through death at our hands, would be murdered on a cross, and would call on his followers to take hold of that joy, take hold of that salvation by following him and taking up their own cross. Now as we look forward to the future hope given through Jesus, that just doesn't seem to make sense to us deep down inside. And I think this tends to have two results. First, and this is a lot of what Pastor Eric was talking about last week, it tends to result in us struggling to be truly vulnerable with one another. Because while we would likely never say this out loud, we have this knee-jerk assumption deeply embedded in us that if you are a mature Christian, if you're a good follower of Jesus, you should have it together. You should be okay. You shouldn't have problems. You shouldn't be weak. You shouldn't struggle. Even if, I don't, think we, I don't think any of us doubt that you go through hard things, but even when that happens, we have this kind of assumption that you should constantly have the right attitude about it. Constantly have the right perspective. And so even when we're sharing, when we're going through something hard, we're like, yeah, this is really hard right now. But you know, God's faithful. It's okay. We have to throw that on the end, lest someone think that we aren't mature Christian or we actually aren't really with God. And so we, tr- we struggle then to be truly vulnerable to really expose that we don't have it together. We have a hard time doing what Paul does in last week's text, which is saying, I went through this, and we were in despair because of it. We have to kind of nuance it, change it slightly. We can't admit that sometimes we don't know what God is doing, and it's making us question him. That we don't feel the joy that Pastor Gerald has talked about so frequently. 
Instead, we try to control how people see us then. Now, I don't think this is intentional. Again, it's not like it's on the tip of our mind. We're saying we're doing this. It's just this reaction. We tend to then pick and choose what we expose to others because we want to control how people see us. But the other result is that this lack of an ability to be vulnerable tends to become even more pronounced among our leaders. Since we often assume that our pastors or our leaders should definitely have it together. If anyone's going to, they have to. They have to be the best among us. And that, I think, is happening in Corinth. They were doubting Paul's legitimacy because of his afflictions and difficulties. Like, what is going on with this guy? And yet Paul did not do what we are so often tempted to do, which is to then conceal it, to tighten up what he will let people see. He didn't conceal his struggles. Instead, he openly says, I don't want you to be unaware. Why does Paul do that? How is he able to do that? How is it that Paul was able to expose himself in this way, even though he knew, he knew he would be judged by the Corinthians to the degree that some of them may reject him and actually walk away from him? How can he do that if he's actually going to lose followers? I think the first verse of our text answers this. Because look again at verse 12. For our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience, that we behave in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God, and supremely so toward you. Okay, what's going on here? Let me return to what I said in the introduction about the temptation I feel in preaching this sermon and trying to impress you. Why is that a temptation for me? Why is it as a pastor, I have often tried to control how people view me. And so I've tried to make sure that people only see the positive. I don't want you to see the weakness. I don't want you to see that in parenting, it's not just that sometimes it's hard, it's that I despair. I question why did God actually put me in this place? That with my future, I often am not being faithful. I don't trust God with what he's going to do in my life. Why do I not want people to really see that? I think it's because ultimately, so often, my boast is in me. Because what I tend to believe is important is how you view me. And so I want to control and display to others only the things I want them to see. Only my strength. I want you to see my accomplishments, my abilities. And even if I say something that seems vulnerable, I almost want to control it. So you say about me, wow, isn't he vulnerable? You're like impressed with my vulnerability rather than really letting you in to what's going on. I want to actually hide my weakness. And that's exactly what our culture, what our world, what the wisdom of our world has shaped us to boast in. I mean, our, our culture in so many ways revolves around us all putting ourselves on display and controlling exactly what people see. We are constantly selecting and editing the best parts of ourselves for the world to see. And that that definitely happens on Facebook and Instagram, but that happens just in normal conversations. We're just talking about our families, and what are we going to highlight? Basically, all the best parts. We're constantly doing this with our resumes, how we present ourselves to others. But Paul says that what he boasts in, what he boasts in is not according to earthly wisdom, but rather according to the grace of God. And so he boasts in the fact that his conduct has been faithful to the Lord. 
that his ministry was done with sincerity and simplicity. And what that means is Paul is not in any way concerned to display himself as impressive. He just wants to point people to Jesus. Paul acted according to the grace of God. He acted with godly sincerity, meaning his actions, his ministry, his life was about displaying, relying on, and making known the fact that God's gift of salvation comes only through God's gracious gift of Jesus, his death, his resurrection, and nothing else. Nothing about Paul brings us salvation. You see, the massive danger when a pastor is trying to make sure that people think that they are impressive is that in so doing, they obscure people from seeing Jesus. And so while it may be possible that Paul would lose some followers by exposing his afflictions and weaknesses because people expect him to be impressive if he was to hold on to those followers by concealing his struggles and afflictions and making himself seem more important, he would not be saving them. He'd be deceiving them. Paul could have made his ministry way bigger. He could have had bigger churches if he would have actually hid what he actually was like. If he would have concealed things, but he preached Christ. And because of that, people didn't want it. But Paul knew what they needed. Paul knew what the Corinthians needed. What the world needed was not a big church. What we need, what you need, what I need, what Paul himself needs. It's not some impressive individual, some impressive leader, some dynamic and remarkable pastor or speaker. It's Jesus Christ. Only, only Jesus can give us what we need. And Paul's own weakness being on display, his own afflictions being made known, highlights this reality. Or as he puts it later in 2 Corinthians, we have this treasure. We have the treasure of the gospel in jars of clay. And that which is weak, that which is frail, that which breaks. Why do we have it in jars of clay? Why did God give us the gospel to bodies that break and are weak? to show that the surpassing worth belongs to Jesus Christ, to God and God alone. And so he doesn't, he doesn't want them to be unaware of his afflictions because he's seeking to correct their views and what an apostle and what God is like. Paul purposely exposes his weakness so that they might see Christ. Now this is obviously extremely important for us leaders here at Calvary, but I think it's also important for all of us. Guys, what is our boast in? What do we think is important? People's view of us? Are we trying to impress others with who we are? Keep up an image? Or do we want them to know Jesus? We want them to see Christ. Pastor Eric called on us last week to be vulnerable and the significance of a church being vulnerable with one another. And that is so true. And I want to build on that. I want to add to that. If we want our children our family members, our friends, our co-workers, our roommates, Oak Park, Chicago, if we want them to know Jesus, we need to be willing to put our weakness on display, not for the sake of it, but just to remind them that why we are here is because we know we're not enough. We're here because there's one who is enough and he's been given to us. I know that's hard. I mean, even as I preach about this very thing, it's difficult. I mean, after my first sermon, what do I want people to say to me? Wow, that was really impressive. I still want it, even though I preached against it. I know this is hard. But like us, all people need Christ. 
showing our weakness points to that need. You see, I also think this applies to us here in two other ways. On the one hand, I think it is a call for us to really think through the people we are following. On the other, it's a call for us to constantly recognize or be reminded of that no matter what your struggles and difficulties are, what is offered to you by God is the gift of Christ, and he is who you should be trusting in. It's okay, look at the next two verses, right? Verses 13 through 14. Paul says this, and I know this, this is part of the section you're like, what is kind of going on here? For we are not writing to you anything other than what you read and understand, and I hope you will fully understand, just as you did partially understand us, that on the day of our Lord Jesus, you will boast of us as we will boast of you. So it seems that the Corinthians thought there must be something more to what Paul was saying, as if he's presenting to them Jesus, but really behind this message is something more. It just can't be that salvation is just a gift given to us through Christ, that we should boast in him alone. Surely there must be more. And so again, it seems they were being tempted to abandon Paul and follow other preachers, other leaders, whom Paul refers to later in his letter as super apostles, who were more impressive, who did boast themselves, and who were openly sharing that they, the Corinthians, should also be impressive. But Paul is basically saying, don't do that. Don't follow these other guys. Why? So that on the day of the Lord Jesus, that is on the day when Christ returns to restore all things, to judge the world, you may be able to boast in me. And what that means is not that they are literally boasting in Paul as if Paul is their savior. As if on the day of the Lord Jesus, you should just stand up and be like boasting in Gerald or something like that. What he actually means by that is not that they're boasting in him as if he's a savior, no, Paul means that they would be able before Christ, before the Lord, to boast that the apostle they followed, the one they believed, was the very one who spoke of you, Jesus. The one who wasn't about himself, wasn't building his own ministry for his own empire, but proclaimed Christ and him crucified rather than himself. And for us, guys, at a time when every church and pastor can post their sermons and services online for anyone to watch, but each one of us can so easily pick and choose the most dynamic and the most compelling things to listen to, it is very easy for us to care way more about what impresses us rather than what points us to Christ. And, and often it's unintentional. It just kind of happens. But in so doing, we can unwittingly be avoiding those who put their weakness on display at all. Now, please don't hear me saying that anyone who's a good speaker is just evil. Don't listen to them. They're just awful. That's not what I'm saying. God gave us these gifts, but he gave us these gifts for the sake of us seeing Jesus. And so when we actually go and listen to these things, what we should be longing for in a church leader is one who constantly shows us Jesus. Now, I didn't tell this story in the first sermon, but I'm going to. I didn't because I was like, I don't want it to seem like I'm like kissing up to Gerald or something like that, but I am. So I'm going to tell the story. I am so thankful for the, for the church, Holy Trinity. This is not, like, Holy Trinity was an amazing church. I feel like they showed me so much about pointing to Jesus. Okay, so don't hear this as, like, some kind of comparison or something. When I sat down with Gerald, one of the first things I asked him, which was a bit of a strange thing for me to ask, but I said, what is your vision for Calvary? And Gerald went into a very long story about his sabbatical summer, which I thought was very interesting, and was, it was really emotional for me to hear it. I was a bit like, I don't understand what this has to do with the vision of the church. But he said this long story and all came back and he's like, all that to say that my vision for the church is for people to be more joyful in Christ. And I was shocked by that. 
Again, not because the church I was at before thought so differently, but because I feel in myself that my vision is to like build the church, build something bigger. When I heard that, I'm like, that's the kind of pastor I know I want to be and I need to be. But it's also the kind of thing that we always should be longing for. Want someone who points us to Jesus. We should long for someone who constantly reminds us that what we need is him. And he has been offered to us. Because Paul here is not just talking about who do you follow. He's talking about what do we do? Who do we cling to? And he wants us. He wants the Corinthians to cling to Jesus. He doesn't want the Corinthians to allow, he doesn't want them to be so wrapped up in trying to make themselves look better than everyone else. He wants them to rely on Christ. And the reason for this is because in so doing, what we gain, despite the fact that you are not perfect, that you struggle, that you are a sinner, that you aren't good enough, that you have aspects to yourself that you want to hide, despite all of that, if you have Jesus, you have everything. He said, this is why in verse 14, Paul to me, this is probably the most surprising thing. He says, not only will you boast of me, but I'm going to boast of you. Okay, that he, before Jesus, is going to boast of the Corinthians. And I want us to think about that because, okay, in the Bible, we have 13 of Paul's letters, right? He wrote to a lot of different churches, different locations, different things were going on. But I think if you were to ask the average person who knows Paul's letters pretty well, if you were to ask them, which of the churches that Paul wrote to was the worst. Which was in the worst situation? My guess is most would say Corinth. Not necessarily all. You know, the Galatians are struggling quite a bit. But I think most would say that the Corinthians were the worst. I mean, you just read through 1 Corinthians, and there are massive problems. They're divided. They're fighting. They're misunderstanding the cross of Christ. There's sexual sin. They aren't practicing the Lord's Supper properly. And there are some who are denying the resurrection. Like, even the most famous chapter in 1 Corinthians, I know this is hard to hear, but 1 Corinthians 13, the chapter on love, which we all think of as like this beautiful love poem, and it is a beautiful love poem. If you read it in context, though, it's a rebuke. When Paul says love is patient, love is kind, it's not envious, it doesn't insist on its own way, what the Corinthians would have heard is love is not you. You are not loving this is why all these problems are going on because you care way more about gifts than you do about one another. Love is not you. This church was messed up. And in 2 Corinthians, the problems continue with Paul having to defend his own legitimacy. This is a church that's not impressive at, at all. And you could add to it that even if they were to leave the walls of the church by society standards, they weren't either. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul basically says, why do you want me to be impressive? None of you are impressive. There's nothing about you that's so great. And I'm sure that for them, that was really hard. Because they had adopted this theology of glory. Which doesn't just affect the way you view your leaders, it affects the way you view yourself. I'm sure they thought very low of themselves. They looked at themselves and saw that in every way. Whether in the church or outside of it, they don't measure up. There wasn't too much to boast in if you're boasting yourself. And maybe that's exactly how you feel too. Right now. Maybe you can identify with the Corinthians and their struggles. You don't feel like you're good enough. Both within the church and outside. Maybe you feel that way and no one knows it. Everyone else around you looks at your life and thinks that you've got it all together. But in reality, you feel like I often do. Like if you truly knew me, 
If you really knew the things I struggle with, the thoughts I have, the, time I, the way I spend my time, you'd think differently. Maybe right now you've got it together, but you are barely hanging on. Because to keep going requires you to keep moving forward, to keep being impressive, and you know you don't have too much left in the tank. And you're terrified that you're going to be exposed. It's actually being weak. It's not actually having it together, but you don't know what to do about it. Guys, Paul actually knew all the struggles of the Corinthians. He actually knew what was going on. He knew they weren't impressive, that they weren't the best Christians, that their walk with the Lord was with two limps. And he knew that if they turned away from Christ and went into the world, they wouldn't fare any better. By society's standards, they were weak. And yet Paul can assure them, can assure the Corinthians, that before Jesus Christ himself, he is planning on boasting that that church is my church. Those people, with all their weaknesses on display for the world to read for thousands of years, those are my people. Because Paul ultimately knows that what makes the Corinthians worthy, what makes them impressive, what makes you worthy, is not the things the world would say. It's what we, say, what we sung about. By standing on the powerful name of Jesus Christ. It's clinging to him. It's knowing Christ. Because in Jesus, all the promises of God find their Yes. This last long section of our text from verses 15 through 24, sorry, from verse 15 through chapter 2, verse 4, it has always seemed so strange to me. Okay, reading through 2 Corinthians, I'm like, what is going on here? Because Paul begins this next section by talking about his travels. Okay, how he really wanted to go to Corinth twice, but he only made one trip, and he explains in chapter 1, verse 2, 3 through 2, 4, that, that the reason for not doing this was essentially to avoid a possibly difficult situation for both him and the church. And that caused some questions for them. Okay, like, does Paul care about us? How much can we trust this apostle? Shouldn't apostles tell the truth? Shouldn't they not be fickle? Should they not know whether or not they're going to go somewhere and do their work? And Paul seeks to answer these questions in this section. But in the midst of it, he has what I think is this kind of bizarre thing on Jesus. I, I know it's true, but it seems really strange that he all of a sudden does this in verses 17 through 22. And I'm going to read these verses, Okay. So he says this in verse 17. Was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? That is, when I wanted to come back to you from Macedonia? Was I being fickle or indecisive? Then he continues. Do I make my plans according to the flesh, ready to say yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaim among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it's always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it's through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ. He has anointed us. He has also put a seal on us and given us a spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Okay, I want you to imagine you and I were having an email exchange and I accused you as being of being indecisive. Okay, I said, I think you're vacillating. I think you're being indecisive. Don't you think it'd be really strange if this is how you answered me? You said, I'm not being indecisive. Because all the promises find their yes in Jesus. I'd be like, I, how does that answer whether or not you're being indecisive in this situation? It seems really bizarre, especially when Paul, again, at the end of our text, actually does explain what was going on here. So why have this section in which he talks about Jesus in this way? 
I think the reason is because Paul recognizes the real problem. He sees that the problems of the Corinthians in the midst of all of this have forgotten God's gift of Jesus to them. They are so fixated at this point on Paul, on his credentials. Why didn't he come to us? Why isn't he more impressive? Why hasn't he helped us be more impressive? They are so fixated on these things that they have forgotten what Paul actually came to tell them about. They have forgotten what Paul brought to them, which is not some kind of impressive ministry, not some promise of them having an impressive life now. He brought them salvation in Jesus Christ. Because through Christ, every single promise of God finds its yes. The promise of God's love for you the promise of his grace for you. The promise of his judgment and his mercy. The promise to make all things new. The promise to wipe every tear from our eyes. To make us worthy to stand before the throne. To renew our world and our hearts and our bodies. The promise of new life. The promise of the gift of the Holy Spirit. Of a new family. Of a new world. Of, of all things being restored to what they're meant to be. Every single one of them finds its yes, finds its amen, finds its completion in what God has already given in Jesus and in Jesus alone. Promises that you could never earn are yours because of Christ. And it's because of that that Paul can say to this struggling church, this church that no one's impressed by. That he will be proud before God himself. to Say, that's my people. And I want all of us to hear that today. To know that today. Because what that means is that in Jesus, through Jesus, if you follow Jesus, if you trust in him, know he died for you, that he rose again. Then because of him, because of the gift of him, you can know, no matter how you would see your own life, Remember what would happen if you truly expose yourself to the world? You are worthy. You are loved. You have salvation. You do. No matter your struggles, no matter how unimpressive you think you are, if you are in Christ, we should all be proud to speak your name before God. To say, that person, I'm with them. Not because you yourself measure up. It's okay that you don't. You don't measure up. But in Christ, all are united to his work. Brothers and sisters, that is what Paul is actually wanting the Corinthians to see. And it's what we need to see as well today. We don't need an impressive leader. We don't need some kind of impressive pastor. We don't need our lives to be impressive and everyone to be impressed with us. What we need has already been given. It's Jesus Christ and him alone. And so one day we can then say before God, yet not I, but Christ in me. As we're to sing now. Please pray with me. Father, I thank you, Lord, that in your son, all your promises find their yes, that they are fulfilled in him. I pray, Lord, that we would know that so deeply, so intimately, Lord, that we wouldn't try to cling to things in our lives. We wouldn't try to cling to making people see us as impressive. We would cling to Christ. We would know him. Lord, may we feel deep inside of us no longer this Assumption that we need to actually make sure people see us a specific way. Let us feel deep inside of ourselves that it is not us, it is Christ.
May we know that. May we glorify you because of it. In Jesus' name, amen.